0: your Bibles. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So good to be with you this morning. I I just want to share my heart for just a moment. I'm just encouraged by uh, how we're seeing more and more people coming to church and being involved in uh, not only just the fact that we're seeing a lot of folks getting back in church after a handful of years where there's disruption in our culture and in the world, uh, but also how we're, we're just seeing a lot of folks visiting in the life of our church. Our, our community is growing, and uh, that's giving us an opportunity to be salt and light in this world. Uh, you may be visiting for the very first time. Please do not feel like you're the only guest in the room. Uh, there are probably several folks that are visiting today. And we're seeing people from all kinds of of places uh, throughout the country, uh, but also seeing people from different uh, Christian backgrounds. Uh, One of the things that we've been noticing in the life of our church, the number of people that are coming from other denominations uh, who are understanding where we are theologically, they embrace it, um, but want to be a part of what God is doing here in the life of First Baptist Church uh, and our work in this community. Uh, So we welcome you. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, I will tell you, I've been a part of a Baptist church my entire life. Um, my, my parents were were raised Baptist. I was dedicated in a Baptist church when I was a, was an infant. Um, came to know the Lord as in the in the context of the ministry of a local Baptist church. Um, I uh, received my call to the ministry in in a Baptist church. Was trained in a in a Baptist theological seminary. Ordained in a Baptist church. So, you could say I'm pretty Baptisty. All right. Um, But I will tell you, one of the things that I've—we've been evolving as a denomination and as a group of people through the years. uh, We are a people that used to be known for our programs. I mean, we, if there was something that needed to be done, we—we we, uh, before we started doing it, we put together a team and put together a program. Uh, we, we wanted to do a Bible study. Well, we put together a Sunday school program. Uh, if we wanted to have, develop our music program, well, we had our graded choirs. And yes, I was a part of a graded choir when I was a child a long, long time ago. Um, when it comes to discipleship, I remember we used to have a Sunday night time uh we'd have worship on how many of you are old enough to remember when they used to do church on a sunday night all right now listen, as a preacher, I'm okay with Sunday morning only. All right, don't, don't tell anybody. I like preaching one good message a day. But I remember as a child, we would have Sunday morning worship, and then we would come back for Sunday evening worship. But since we were coming back anyway, we would squeeze some discipleship time. Uh, it, when I was a little child, we called it training union, and then we got a little bit more sophisticated and called it church training. And then we got more biblical and called it discipleship training. Uh, and, but we had a program for, for making disciples, uh, we also had evangelism programs uh, They used to have the CWT, Continuous Witness Training, where we would learn how to share the gospel and go out into the community and go knocking on doors. Eventually, we had a thing called the Faith Evangelism Strategy, which I'm trained in, and, and we did that. So we had all kinds of programs to make sure that we were doing everything we were supposed to do. And as a kid, when I would show up for Sunday school, they would hand me an envelope. And on, on the outside, we called it a 6 points. uh uh, that we would check off and uh, we would turn in our offering but we'd also check off things like did you read your bible every day this week uh did you are you going to worship are you on time i don't even know what that means anymore but are you on time did you study your lesson are you giving an offering uh and so we'd have all of these things that we would have to list and at the bottom was the thing that said contacts and we're supposed to, to tally up all of the phone calls Uh, all of the letters, uh, all of the invitations and visits that you made so that we would sort of, you know, tally up our our outreach efforts. Now, listen, I will tell you, you know, I'd try to be as honest as I could when it was time to fill out that that envelope as a child, but I'll be honest with you a little bit more. I fudged the numbers on the contacts. (laughs) You know, I was a, a far better evangelist on paper than I ever was in real life. You know what I'm talking about? Now, why would I have been tempted to to say I was more outreaching and more more outward with the gospel when it comes to outreach when I really wasn't? Well, the, the reason why I would say that is that, and you may have done this too, we all intuitively know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be a little bit more vocal with the gospel and inviting people to know the Lord, inviting people to church than we actually are. Uh, Because we know that if we have been changed by the gospel, we want others to be changed by the gospel. And the way for them to be changed by the gospel is to hear the gospel. And I have a responsibility to be a part of that assigned to me by the Lord himself. And so we all know that evangelism is a good thing. Sharing the gospel is a good thing. Being a witness for Christ is a good thing. And that we all really want to be doing it. But honestly, far fewer of us are doing it than we should be. So is it possible for you to be a growing disciple and not share the gospel? Jim Putnam, in his book, Real Life Discipleship, said this about his church. And his church is a growing church in the northwest part of the country. He said, we don't worry about evangelism. We just push people to be disciples. Because a true disciple will automatically share the gospel. So true disciples, faithful disciples... They are faithful witnesses. They will also stand firm for the gospel, even when they experience opposition and pushback. Well, we're in week two of a brand new series we're calling Standing Firm. It's an examination of Paul's letter that he wrote uh, to a group of of believers in in an ancient city known as Thessaloniki, Thessalonica back then. And as he was writing to them, he's writing to them words of encouragement. And we actually have those words in a letter that we refer to as 1 Thessalonians. It's Paul's very first letter that we have written, we believe, and it's sent to this group of believers to encourage them to press on and to stand firm in their faith no matter what. Last week we covered chapter 1, and now today we're we're in chapter 2. We're not going to cover the whole chapter. We'll look at the first eight verses of of chapter 2. So let's just jump right into it. I've got a lot to say on this subject because Paul has a lot to say. So why don't you stand with me, and we're going to read this together. Uh, if uh, you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got it on the screen behind me. You follow along as we read this together. Chapter 2 of First Thessalonians begins like this. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, Because you have become very dear to us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we know that the gospel is good. You've given it to us. We've been changed by it. For those of us who have heard the gospel and been convicted of our sins and have turned to you in faith, but we've sought forgiveness from you and now... You've given us that, but not only that, you've given us a relationship with you forevermore. There's not a greater gift on earth that a human being can have than to have a right relationship with his creator. Lord, this gift that has been given to us is not just for ourselves, but you've given it to us that we might share the gift with others. Lord, you've called us to be disciples of you and disciples ought to automatically share the good news. It's good to them It will be good to others. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we will be found faithful, that we will be found to be faithful witnesses of you and of your gospel, knowing that in this world that is warring against us, the Lord, you will find us to have been faithful to the end. So we we pray, Lord, in this prayer, and, and as we open up your word, that you challenge us to remain faithful to the end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for standing and honoring God's Word. You know, First Baptist Church, we, we have a number of, of things that undergird what we do and what we say and, what, and how we engage in our ministry. We call these our core values. In fact, we have nine core values Uh, If you don't know what those core values are, we'd encourage you to to sign up for our membership class. It's not just for new members, uh, but it's for members who've been around for a long time. And we've got some coming up over the course of the next few months. And we sort of walk through core values and our mission statement and who we are as a church. But one of our our core values, one of those nine core values, is a, a core value we call missional living. The idea behind missional living is that we as Christians... We want to think and act like missionaries. And this core value, as we were wrestling, you know, what, what, are we, what do we value here as a congregation? We were going through that time of reflection. That core value came about not long after some of us had been on a mission trip and we returned from the mission field and we recognized that when we're on the mission field, we act and think differently than when we're here back in, in our community. And when you go on a mission trip, you know, you're invested You know, you're taking time out of your schedule to go away, oftentimes using your own funds to to mobilize yourself to another place. And and you also have one purpose, and that is to share the gospel in order to make disciples. You know, we're trying to fulfill that great commission. And you're also focused on one task. When you're on the field, you want to make Jesus known. You want to share that gospel. You want to share the good news with those who might not have heard it before. But it's not long after we return back to, from our mission that we're here in the community and we get back to our routines, we're working our jobs, we're running errands, we're taking care of our kids and our grandkids, we're doing church stuff, and then it's not long after that that we're not sharing the gospel again. And so we, we thought, you know, what, what if we could take that mentality and that behavior that we engage in on the mission field and let's encourage our folks and our congregation to embrace this every single day? And so the idea is that we're going to be missionaries right here in our community, thinking and acting like missionaries wherever we we find ourselves, especially here on our own mission field. Well, a faithful witness does just that. He or she thinks and acts like a missionary, and they do so no matter what. And what better way for us to learn how to to be and think like a missionary, than by imitating one. And there's no better way than being a faithful witness, than imitating a faithful witness. And so we're going to do that in the life of Paul. The Apostle Paul is just that. He's a missionary, and he's also a faithful witness. And we're seeing him talk uh, in the midst of a a second missionary journey, talk back to a group of people that he had visited some time before, He's visited Thessalonica. It's a free city in in ancient Greece. And he spent some time there. And after ministering there for a brief season, he left. Shortly after, he lands in another community, the city of Corinth, another Greek city. And he takes some time uh, because emails didn't exist back in those days. He sat down and he took a pen, took a paper, and he began to write out some encouraging words to his his Thessalonian friends. He's writing to to encourage them, to imitate himself. Imitate me to be a faithful witness as I am, to think and to act like a missionary. So today what I want to do is I'm going to unpack these eight verses for you and encourage you, as I point out three traits of Paul himself as a faithful witness, traits that I would encourage you and myself to emulate if we want to be found to be faithful witnesses as well. And these have more to do with how Paul thought than what he did because if you begin to think rightly, your behavior will follow and, and we'll do what Paul did, which was faithfully share the gospel. So let's jump into the first point that I want to point out to you. You'll see it in the first couple of verses. The first thing that we learn about Paul as a faithful witness is that a faithful witness is courageous in the face of opposition. I want you to write this down. If you if, if Type it into your phone, your iPad, write this down. Not that it matters so much at this moment, but friends, the day is coming. If you're going to remain faithful as a follower of Jesus Christ, the way I'm seeing the trends going against those who are people of faith, who believe in the exclusivity of Christ and believe in His Word, opposition is coming, Christian. Hear me on this. And you better be prepared for it. And one way that we prepare for it is to be courageous in the face of opposition. You know, it seemed that everywhere that Paul would go, sharing the gospel, somebody didn't like it, somebody pushed back against him, and sometimes they pushed back hard. And yet we find Paul being faithful. He kept on sharing Christ anyway and doing so faithfully. Look at verse 1. Paul begins to write about it there in verse 1 when he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Let me remind you of the context in which Paul is writing, in the ministry in which it occurred there in Thessalonica, Thessalon- Thessalon- but also all of Greece. Paul and Silas, they, they had visited Thessalonica. They, they this is happening, by the way, about 20 years or so after Jesus has died and buried and uh, resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's about 20 years. Two decades have passed by. Paul's now come to faith in Christ and he's received his calling to go out and share the good news, not just among Jewish people, but among the Gentiles. And so he's making his way uh, around this area known as Greece. And it's his second missionary journey. He arrives in Thessalonica and uh, he's there for about three Sabbaths, according to the book of Acts, because there's some description historically about their journey there. And according to first century Judaism, Preaching in the synagogue would have happened on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. And so if Paul was there every time that the people gathered, and it was his common practice to go to the local synagogue to meet among the Jews who would have embraced the Old Testament and embraced the Word of God, that meant Paul probably preached there about eight or nine times while he was in Thessalonians. And he also spent a lot of time with some of the locals one-on-one. In between those times, uh, investing in people, sharing the gospel, uh, inviting them to come to Christ. And, and several people did come to faith in Jesus. But Paul's ministry there wasn't received well by all kinds of people. In fact, there were a lot of people who started to push back against him. Some of the local Jews who had heard Paul's teaching didn't like what he had to say. And, and uh, they started to do something about it. They, they sort of stirred up a mob. And the mob starts a riot. Uh, they're claiming that Paul and Silas were, were promoting another king besides the, the Roman king Caesar. And so the mob starts trying to chase them down. And they, they come up against a, a, the house of a man by the name of Jason. Uh, apparently Jason had supported Paul and Silas and maybe he had even allowed them to stay uh, at his house. And so they are trying to find Paul and Silas. They come to Jason's house. They're not there, but Jason is. They drag Jason and his brothers into the street. Um, they take bail money uh, on behalf of them to, to to help keep the peace and later that night paul and silas they escape into the night secreted away for their safety now i want you to imagine you're not paul and silas now but you're someone like jason or somebody related to jason you're one of those that heard the gospel from paul you've come to faith in christ you're a new believer And you've been living a simple, quiet life, trying to grow in Christ, listening to Paul. uh, And, uh, you know, he's coming, he's shared the gospel with you. And uh, now you've gladly received it. You put your faith in Christ. But a riot now breaks out. Paul is sort of the center of that riot. He's in the middle of it. They run Paul out of town. And now you wonder, since you've identified with Paul because you've identified with Christ, if you're next and they're coming after you and going to run you out of town or something worse. Listen, we're we're so afraid of sharing our faith, but we really, at this moment, not yet, we really have no idea what it's like to be persecuted because of Jesus. I mean, the heat's turning up a little bit, Christian, but it's nothing, nothing compared to what Paul went through. So Paul is now writing back to his friends in Thessalonia to to, to encourage them and uh, writes there to, to them saying, look, our coming to you is not in vain. Well, Paul was really encouraging them. He just wanted them to hang in there. Don't give up. Even if you're violently oppressed, don't let this detract from your faith and do not let it stop you being a faithful witness. And listen, Paul knew about opposition. If you look in verse 2, check out what he wrote there. He says, but though we had already suffered and have been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much Conflict. Now, Paul's bringing up what had happened to him and to Silas in another place before they had visited, uh, but this time what had happened had happened in the city of Philippi. And Paul had had a very difficult time there because they had been confronted by a demon-possessed girl, a slave girl, And this girl was making money for her masters by her ability to to, to tell fortunes under the influence of the demonic activity. Well, Paul comes, you know, she comes along, confronts them. Paul casts the demon out of the the girl, and uh, the the owners, because now she doesn't have the ability to, to do fortune telling anymore, the owners of the girl get so mad they drag. Uh, heard to the local authorities, uh, dragged them to the local authorities. They are stripped, they are beaten with rods, they're thrown into prison. And as we know the story, they were miraculously released in the middle of the night under the power of God. Now, all of this happened to them, the beatings, being stripped down, being arrested, all of this happened because Paul and Silas dared to talk about Jesus. They dared to start sharing what they believed to be the good news, the life-changing news of Jesus Christ and his work in this world. And yet, having all of that happening to them in Philippi, it did not deter them from being bold in Thessalonica. Even when opposition arose there, it did not stop them. And so Paul is now writing back to the same believers that they had shared the gospel with, the same believers who watched Paul and Silas get run out of town and he's writing them to say, look, you may have opposition rise against you, but you need to know, you need to share the gospel that the opposition is worth it, that you can be courageous, you can be bold and be a faithful witness even if your faith is challenged. Can I ask you, Christian, even now, our situation is not yet what it is for Paul and Silas and the Thessalonians, but are you faithful with the gospel? Are you? You know, we all wanted to be faithful witnesses of Christ, but we're often found not sharing the gospel far more than we actually are found to be sharing the good news. Maybe it's because we don't know what to say. We do, because we have, all have our own testimony of Christ. Or maybe we're afraid we're going to mess it up, or we'll, we'll make fool of ourselves. If those are concerns that you have, you ever wor- wonder where those worries come from? I mean, we, we believe and know that the gospel to be true, don't we? We know that the Lord has called us to share the good news with others, don't we? We know that following Jesus is a good thing. It is a blessed thing to know Christ, to have Him in your life. And that those who trust Jesus, we know that they will enjoy a relationship with Christ now, but also that relationship will extend into eternity. That once you have Christ in your life, that you will live forever. We also know that there is nothing more important in this life than knowing the God who has created you, knowing Him and worshiping Him, because that is your life purpose. And if we know all of that, then why are we so afraid to tell others about Him? If it's such a good life to know God and to be known by Him, why wouldn't we want others to know and why wouldn't we be active in sharing that with other people? Well, perhaps the reason why we don't always be or we aren't always as faithful as we should be is that we're maybe we're afraid we're gonna offend someone. Maybe we're, we're afraid we're going to face some kind of pushback. And listen, the pushback is real. It's not quite like it is, uh, was in Paul's day, but it is growing. As I mentioned earlier, the heat is turning up. There's, there's this new anti-Christian sentiment that is real, and it is growing in this culture. It's not just in our, our nation, it's in the westernized world. Here's an example for you. You know, recently they've passed in Tallahassee the Parental Rights and Education Bill in Florida. Uh, and, you know, it, it bans classroom uh, discussion or pa- pla- classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. I'm in favor of that bill, by the way, just, just to be clear about that. It's a good bill because it allows schools to focus on what they're supposed to be doing, which is education and not indoctrina- indoctrination, and it leaves discussions about sex and gender identity where it belongs, which is in the, in the hands of the parents, now, of course, there have been some in our culture that are opposed to this and opposing it greatly. And, uh, and so it's no, no, no surprise that people are discussing it, and debating it. And there was one response, though, that was just out there. It was really outrageous, and that's saying something in this culture. There's an actress by the name of Patti LuPone, who was a guest on a, a daytime talk show. And this bill came up for discussion on the, on the talk show. And, and she was against the bill, and in response to it, she said this. She said, I don't know what the difference between our Christian right and the Taliban is. I have no idea what the difference is. By, by Christian right, she's talking about Bible-believing Christians, okay? Just to be clear with that. Now, remember who the Taliban are, right? We, we, those of us who watched... The, the war in, in Afghanistan, the, 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 the Taliban are the tribal Muslim leaders in Afghanistan known for denying education for females, chopping off the hands and feet of, of thieves and, and suspected thieves, of beating women for not wearing face coverings, of beheading enemies of Islam, including uh, children as young as 9 years old and 10 years old. But yet, she has no idea the difference between Christians and them and you know it's not a surprise to me you would hear these kind of things you're going to have these extreme positions in the culture the problem I guess for me is is not that she said it nor that the other host on the show didn't offer any pushback when she said it the problem was this was not some unknown blog or some random twitter feed out there it was aired on a major network in our culture uh, in the middle of the day I say that to say this, that in, in the span of a few short years, we've gone from Christianity in America and in this culture as being the majority religion that is respected, to Christianity being a major religion, but it's, not, but it's being rejected, to now uh, Christianity is no different than the Taliban. You see, it's not a far leap to say that outright persecution of Christians in America could come as quickly as this shift is happening. And if it does happen, it's likely to be condoned and not condemned. And I say all of that not to sensationalize things. I'm not trying to raise your fear level and to increase your engagement in what I'm having to say, except to do this for you. I just simply want to encourage you. We don't know where the culture is going to go. We may see a turn in the tide but I want to encourage you that no matter what happens in the culture, that you as a Christ follower, your greatest allegiance is to Jesus. And no matter what happens, you're being called, I'm being called, we're all being called, and I'm encouraging you to do this, to be faithful anyway, to be courageous with the gospel anyway, no matter how it may affect you personally, no matter how it may impact you as a, as a, or your family, that you pursue Christ and that you pr- pr- promote Him and be a witness for Him, even in the face of opposition and even in the face of possible persecution. Because even though we may suffer for our witness and we may suffer sometime soon, I'm not a prophet, yet if it happens, it will, our, our suffering will not be in vain. Here's another thing we learn from Paul about being a faithful witness and it's this. A faithful witness isn't trying to please the world. A faithful witness aspires to please God. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Apparently there were some local teachers uh, who were you know, trying to teach only for self-serving reasons, and, and Paul was trying to distance himself as he's writing back to the Thessalonians. And, and, and he's he noted that his, his, his gospel appeal doesn't come, one, from error. So it's not, it's not a mistake, what I've shared with you. Paul's not making this stuff up. His message was the gospel, it was truth. And by the way, contrary to what some critics uh, of the Bible might say today, uh, the the Bible as we have it wasn't put together by a church council meeting in some smoke-filled room hundreds of uh, of years after Jesus was on earth. No, it is truth. It is the Word of God. It is the gospel. And Paul says, it's not a mistake what I've shared with you. And he also said that his gospel appeal doesn't spring from impurity. That word impurity normally is a reference to sexual immorality. But, but here, Paul's talking about an impure motivation. He says, I'm not sharing with you because my motives are impure. You know, it's not like it's based on ambition or pride or greed. And Paul had been accused of having wrong motives, impure motives, and it was absolutely not true. He also says, look, I, my appeal, my gospel appeal, does not spring from any attempt to deceive. You know, the, the root word in the Greek language for deceive was associated with, with a fishing lure you know what a fishing lure is right you put it on the end of your line to go fishing you know and you know how it works toss that lure out uh, at the end of of the line it's got a hook in it the lure is an attempt to tempt the fish to bite and when that lure goes out into the water it promises one thing to the fish you've got a nice fly for lunch just bite on the lure but even though it promised a, promised a nice lunch, it, it offers something very different. It offers a hook and it offers death. So instead of it providing a, a meal, an encouraging meal, the, the, the fish itself becomes the meal, right? And Paul was saying, look, that's not what I, I was doing when I came to you and shared the gospel I wasn't trying to deceive you. I wasn't wasn't promising you one thing and offering you another thing. Uh, You were given the truth. And Paul said, look, I I, I say all this to you to proclaim my real aspiration. And his real aspiration was simple. And that was he, he wanted to be a faithful witness in order to please God. I just want to please God. That's why I came to you with the gospel. I just wanted to please God. That's it. That that was his purpose. That's what drove him the most, to please the one that had saved him. How do we know? Well, look at verse 4. He said, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." You'll consider that phrase that, that he had been entrusted with the gospel. The picture that is given there is one who is a, a household steward. They, they somebody that's been put in charge of, of a business, a, a household business or, a, or, or a, a family business or home. And the, the owner, the business owner, the homeowner, you know, they've taken time, they've investigated the one that they're going to hand over the responsibilities to, they've thoroughly tested him. He knows who he is thoroughly, and and then and only then does he take all of these precious things and hands them over to someone who will give watch care. He's entrusted this person with his business, his home, his family. You know, when you're that person, you're the one that has been investigated, and you've been found to be uh, up to the job, up to the task of caring for someone else's uh, precious things and, and, and people. When you're the one to be found trustworthy and you know that, and they're looking at you, I'm trusting you. You know, you you feel this obligation to do all that you can to prove your trustworthiness. And Paul's saying, look, that's what's been done for me. I've been given the gospel. It's not my gospel, it's the Lord's gospel, but he's handing it to me to watch over. This is the Lord's business, and he's handing it to me and entrusted it to me to give good care to it, to steward it, And so if that's the case, if you're that person, you want to do all that you can do to please the owner. And that's why Paul faithfully shares the gospel no matter what. It's because he's been entrusted with this gospel and aspires to please the one who has handed it over to him. Now, if you're like me, you have a little bit of a a people-pleasing gene inside of you. I know it's not all of you because I've met some of you. But far greater percentage of us, we, we tend to have at least a little bit of people pleasing within us, right? We don't like people to be sideways with us. We don't like people to be upset with us. We all want to please others in one way or another. Uh, we have our limits, of course, but we want people to like us and to not dislike us. So we do things or tend to behave in ways that will be pleasing to others. And we see this on full display every election cycle, Right? When you you, you have local politicians and national politicians and state politicians doing and saying things to get people to like them, it's not that they believe everything that they say, uh, and their intentions aren't always noble. I'm not saying this of every politician, uh, but in general, you'll see them doing what they need to do just to get elected, and they're trying to please the electorate. You know, Our goal should not be like that, just to please others to get what we want. What what we ought to do is to please the one who deserves to be pleased, and that is God. We ought to all aspire to be God-pleasers, and we please Him most when we worship Him and we bear testimony of Him and share the good news about Him. And so aspire, if you want to be a a faithful witness, aspire to please God by sharing the gospel. Here's, Here's a third and final point. Not to say that pleasing the Lord is the only thing that motivated Paul. A faithful witness also is motivated by a love for people. You know if you'll remember from chapter one, Paul had, had called uh, the, the Thessalonians to be imitators of himself and, and of, of Silas, and so they, they motive, uh, modeled for them how to share the gospel. And in verses five through eight, he reminds them about how they went about sharing the gospel with them as a way to model for them, what the gospel is like. Notice how Paul approached them with the gospel. Verse 5, halfway through, or, or at the beginning, first half, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. Let me pause here and say, look, Paul was winsome, I'm sure. I mean, he, he wasn't trying to manipulate people into the kingdom, but as you read his writings, you know that it, the Lord had gifted him with a great intellect. Uh, and so I'm sure he used it and leveraged it as he was communicating the gospel, but he wasn't trying to offer false or, or excessive praise. And so following Paul's example, as we're sharing the gospel and being faithful witness, we do not want to be manipulators. We don't want to be manipulative. Uh, we all want to, we, we, we want to make sure that we're communicating the gospel well, and so let's not do so just to manipulate people in the kingdom. But after he says that, he says this in verse 5, nor do we come with a pretext for greed for God is witness. So here again, Paul is a, a, affirming that his motivation in sharing the gospel was, was pure. It wasn't for selfish gain. It wasn't for, per, uh, for personal gain. Uh, he wanted to, pr- 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 to promote Jesus and promote the word. And so we got to be very careful to, to be the same way. Now listen, we live in a world where scams are, are a constant concern. Um, you probably have already received an email, phone call, or text with someone telling you that your Netflix account has been locked and you need to reach out to them uh, with your bank information to, to make sure you can watch your, your shows this afternoon. Or, or somebody's called you, right? Have you had one of those calls in the last few days? The, 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 the opportunities for people to scam us out of our, our, our money is, is raising day by day. And in a world where things like that is possible, many, many people are skeptical at a level unlike any other time. David Kinnaman, in his book UnChristian, offers some reasons why our culture has become less receptive to the gospel. One is the rejection of absolute truth, and we'll get into this in the next handful of weeks, uh, of why it's getting harder and harder to stand firm as people that believe in an absolute truth. He also notes that... uh, there are those who are less receptive to Christianity because they feel that Christians don't genuinely care about them. I don't know if that's true for us, but I, I know that that's been true in times past of others. Some that, that are skeptical of, of Christianity, they're, they're skeptical about our motives. As, as one, Christian, uh, one non-Christian said in his book, he said, Christians are only interested in me if, I, if I'm open to their message. If not, they want nothing to do with me. And some just don't like the tactics of, of, of some Christian witnesses. They feel like they're being stopped, feel like Christians are trying to trick them in, into hearing the gospel. And I bring this up to you just keep that in mind if we're going to be faithful witnesses, that we, we don't want to be manipulative. We don't want to come across in any way, but, but out of genuine concern for people. Uh, and keep that in mind as you share the gospel. Then look at verse six. Paul writes Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul here is just saying, look, I wasn't on some ego trip. I wasn't trying to you know, put notches on my belt for the gospel. But he had a greater motivation. In fact, if you look at verse 7, it's important because you'll notice how Paul said that when he was with the Thessalonians, when he shared the gospel with him, how he interacted with them. Look, look at verse 7. It's an interesting statement. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Again, this is important because Paul is describing his approach as he came to the Thessalonians to share the gospel with him and how he interacted with them, he said, we were gentle among you. What this tells me, and what it ought to tell you, is that that he was being sensitive to their situation, so much so that, that they were engaging them with the gospel like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. You know, there's something beautiful about a nursing mother, right? You see this thing that God has, the situation that God has created, you know, a, a, a child being born is a miracle, but also motherhood is a very unique and special thing. And to see a mother who is given from her life, life in this child, now the child is receiving life-giving sustenance from the mother, and there's this care, and there's this gentle caring and, and dealing with the child. It's just a wonderful picture of love, security, safety, protection. And Paul is using this image to talk about how he had love and care for the Thessalonians as he was sharing the gospel with them. And that leads us to a key verse, the last verse that we'll address today, verse 8. He says, so, in light of this picture that I've just given to you, I've not come to you to manipulate you. I've not come to receive glory for myself. But, but we came to you desiring to be good for you. We, we, we came to you gently, like a nursing mother caring for her child. so, Verse 8, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, and that's important, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Paul says we've been, we're being affectionately desirous of you. This is telling me, it ought to tell you that he longed for them. He, he liked them. He had great affection for them. He had a relationship with them. The idea is that Paul loved them and cared for them, and it was out of love for them that Paul shared the gospel with them. Jesus gave us a very clear command to love others. He says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when we love our neighbors as ourselves, you know, we see them as more than just some spiritual trophy that we're trying to achieve. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, we we are genuinely caring about them, not just and only if they care about Jesus, but in spite of the fact of them rejecting Jesus, we keep on caring about them. When we love others and love our neighbors as ourselves, we're we're patient with them in their spiritual journey because they they have to take some time sometimes to to, to listen to the truth and to contemplate the truth in order to embrace the truth. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, we show over time that we genuinely are interested in them and care for them. We demonstrate that our motives are pure. So how do we do that? How do we demonstrate genuine care and love toward them? How do we show that our motives are pure? Well, Paul clues us in in that last part when he says, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. You know, Occasionally you hear us mention around here a little phrase, a little motto called invest and invite. You're going to hear it and keep hearing it. The idea behind an invest and invite is this. That you, you as a believer in Jesus, if you would want to engage your family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and whomever you come across with the gospel, you invest yourself into their lives. It's not just a fly-by-night, quick hit, and then you're off to something else, but that you begin to develop relationships with other people, investing your life into the lives of others, thereby earning the opportunity to invite them to church, yes, but even more so, invite them to know Jesus. And Paul was certainly all about this investing and inviting people to receive the gospel, at least with with the Thessalonians, but he did it in the context of relationship. He wanted to invest his life in them. He said, not only did we share the gospel with you, we shared, we invested our very lives with you. The idea that you get here that Paul wanted their friendship. He liked them. He, He loved them. And it was out of his love and his care for them that he shared the gospel with them. And his, his intention wasn't just to get them saved and to move on. He was friends with them to the very end. That's why he took the time, even though he had left Thessalonica and was on to something else, he took the time to write back to them because he loved them and had invested his life into theirs. And he was friends with them to the very end. And I'm sure that included even those who refused the gospel. That means that Paul was invested in their lives. He spent time with them. He shared his life with them. And it was because of this time and this investment of his life that they were open to hearing his claims about Jesus. They came to trust Paul and they knew that he cared about them and that he only wanted good for them. And I'm going to tell you, friends, in this skeptical age, never before or never again may we see a need for us to be more willing to invest ourselves in the lives of others to show that we're not just out to get something from people but that we want to give. We want to give the life-saving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what's more persuasive for you when it comes to going to a new restaurant? A friend's recommendation to a restaurant or, or some random recommendation you see online? Listen, I might be interested in a restaurant if I see a a raving review online, but if one of you comes up to me and says, look, there's this new restaurant down the street, and I went the other day, and I'm telling you, it is the best place I've eaten in a long, long time. Let me tell you what I'm going to be visiting in the next week or so, right? And the reason why isn't because I simply trust this person has a good taste in restaurants. It's because I know them, and I've come to know them, and and based on my relationship with them, their reputation ranks far higher than some rando online uh, somewhere. And so that's why it works when it comes to the gospel. It works best for friends to share Christ with friends. To, to make friends. as we, we, we gather here on this campus a lot, and it's good. We're grateful to have this place. But friends, we, we need to make sure that we're not holding ourselves up and, and cocooning ourselves here to the neglect of developing relationships with the people around us you know the christian friend is able to say to their non-christian friend you know you know me you know that i care about you You know that i want what's best for you uh, and i've got this relationship with jesus and my life has never been the same but since jesus came into my life and changed me and i what i've experienced i want you to experience because they know you and they've seen this in you, and they know that you know that, that you care for them. They're gonna receive that. They may not receive the gospel, but they will receive the message in a way they would never receive from someone who just showed up at their door, knocked, and left. And so I want to challenge you to be a faithful witness. Be committed to making disciples, but being faithful uh, as a witness of the gospel. And let me encourage you to do that by investing and inviting. Invest your life in the lives of others. Make friends and invite them in. And invest in them by, by serving them and, and helping them, performing uh, acts of kindness towards them. Be, be proactive, mowing their grass, watching their kids, inviting them to dinner, whatever the Lord lays upon your heart. But develop relationships and love them as the friend, the neighbor, the coworker that you wished others would be with you. And then along the way, invite them. Invite them to church, of course. Invite them to your small group. Invite them into your home. But as the Spirit leads you, invite them to Jesus. I have this vision for our church, by the way, and that we truly become a place where the culture of this church is invest and invite, invest and invite, invest and invite. The best uh, advertisement that ever comes is word of mouth. Someone has experienced something that that wowed them and they can't help but share it with others. And listen, if Jesus has wowed you, friends, start telling it to other people. What would happen? What would this place be like? What would our congregation be like if all of us became faithful witnesses, investing and inviting in this culture? I'm telling you, we wouldn't be able to contain all the people that would show up in our doors. So let me tell you one last thing. Be courageous. Be a faithful witness even if you expect pushback, be faithful, be courageous, seek to please the Lord by sharing the gospel and love people into the kingdom. Now I'm going to offer a little invitation here. We talked about investing and inviting. I'm going to offer this invitation to someone who just maybe have no idea why you felt led. You got in your car this morning, felt like you needed to go to a church somewhere. You didn't know where you were going to go, but somehow the spirit of God directed you into this building today. And you were here, you pulled in our parking lot, not knowing what to expect. Let me just tell you about my Jesus for just one quick moment. When I was a a boy at the age of eight, I told you I was raised in in a church, but my, my Baptist faith, my Christian faith really wasn't my faith. It was my parents' faith. They were being faithful by taking me to church, but it wasn't my faith. There came a moment when the gospel was shared with me directly. And as it was shared with me. I I began to realize something that was true for me and that I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I, I, I attended church, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus, that I was a sinner. And because of my sin, according to the word of God, that I was separated from my sin and did not have a relationship. I was separated from God because of my sin and I didn't have a relationship with God. And because of that, I knew as the gospel was being shared with me, that if I remained in my sin and I died separated from God, that I'd be separated from God for all of eternity. And I had the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon me, and I recognized that I had offended a holy God, even as an eight-year-old boy, that I was not right with God, and that as the gospel was told to me that the only way for me to be right with God was not something that I did, but something that had already been done on my behalf by Jesus himself. Jesus, who is God, a long time ago came to this earth ...as both a man and a God in the same being. He was the incarnate God, God in the flesh, and He lived without sin. And at the end of His life, He died on a cross, not because He deserved to die, but He willingly laid down His life to pay the penalty of my sin and yours. That He was buried, that He came back to life, that this is the gospel, that Jesus died for sins, He was buried, He came back to life for, that is the good news of Jesus, that any person who would believe this to be true and would turn from their sins and turn to Jesus, would find His forgiveness, and would have a relationship with the God who created them. And I heard that gospel, I'd heard it before, but I was a little boy, and it was nighttime. and I heard that gospel for the first time, it became real for me, and I said yes to Jesus. And I asked Him to forgive me and to come into my life. And Jesus has been in my life ever since. I've not been a perfect kid, I've not been a perfect adult, I've made my mistakes, but I'm telling you, once Jesus came into my life, I've, n- I've always had God with me. Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit came and took up residency in me and He has been with me ever since. And my life has never, ever been the same. And just as I, a long time ago, was invited to receive Jesus, to be forgiven of my sins and receive a relationship with Jesus, I'm giving you this invitation today. God is giving you this invitation today. If you do not know Jesus, today is a really good day to be known by Him. And so what I want to do is I want to have a word of prayer for you. And I'm going to pray that the same Holy Spirit who brought me under conviction and led me to faith in Jesus would convict your heart and your spirit. And after I pray this prayer, I'm going to encourage you to do something, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful that you saved me a long time ago. That because others were faithful witnesses, that I heard the gospel in its its completeness and was convicted of my sin. And Lord, I gladly received what you, you did upon the cross, what you did for me upon the cross. I received forgiveness. I have received a relationship with you. I have received eternal life. And I now have the ability to know and to be known by the God who created me and to worship you with my whole life. And now, Lord, I believe that there are others that you want to see the same happen to them. And so, Lord, even now, I pray that your Holy Spirit begin to awaken within the depths of the souls of of someone here that does not know You, that even now that they sense that this prayer that I pray is for them, that they fall under conviction, recognize that they're a sinner, and turn to You while they may. Oh, Holy Spirit, You do what only You can do. Draw men and women, boys and girls to You. Save them, we pray. And then, Lord, turn them into the faithful witnesses You've called them and destined them to be. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.